And the rest of us can open up to Luke chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1 this morning. And if you want to use one of the Bibles we provided for you there in the rows, it'll be page 869 of those Bibles there. On August 23rd, 1963, America marched on Washington for jobs and freedom. You know that the great civil rights leader and orator of his generation, Dr. Martin Luther King, stepped to the microphone there in Washington Mall before 250,000 people and unloaded a speech that would go down as one of the greatest in the history of our nation. That speech was been called, I Have a Dream. You may remember if you've studied or, you know, heard about that, and this is, you know, important these days because we're almost on Martin Luther King Day, uh, a little more than a week from now, but you may remember the story that toward the end of his speech, he was about to sit down and close out his uh, message for the crowd when the gospel singer Malia Jackson said, tell them about the dream, Martin. And Dr. King abandoned his script, stopped speaking, and probably we could say started preaching in those final few moments. Do you remember these words? I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. I have a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream, he said, that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. And as you think about Dr. King, as we think about these words, listen, and we think about, begin to think about our vision as a church. Listen, I have not invoked Dr. King's speech in any way to set myself up to, you know, match his rhetorical flair this morning, nor do I presume that, you know, this sermon will kind of make the difference and make our church, you know, push us into the greatest year of our existence, though that's certainly my prayer and our prayer this morning. But the reason I bring up Dr. King's speech is that he was a man who was driven by a vision. His life was driven by a compelling vision that both guided his faith and governed his daily action. Think about that. A compelling vision that governed his faith and guided his daily action. This vision controlled his commitments. It drove him to pursue the unexpected. And it was the lens by which he could see what so few could see or even dream possible. He was a man driven by a clear, compelling vision. Now let me ask you, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for this church? We have a vision for this church, and that's what we want to focus on this morning. And, and as we dive in, I want to have a, just a couple of encouragements on the front end, okay? Number one, 
any vision in this good world that God has made, any, any vision worth really buying into and really fulfilling must be, number one, grounded in what God has revealed to us. And so that's why we're not going to depart from our series in the Gospel of Luke. This, in fact, this text is perfectly tailored for us to consider how we can own this mission and vision this year as a church. So number one, it has to be grounded in, in a God-centered, God-driven vision that's revealed in his word. So we must rigorously apply God's word. But then number two, this vision has to be a collective vision. It must be implemented by all of us if we are going to see the vision realized. It can't just be a couple of us or a handful of us, but it has to be all of us working together as a church to see this vision realized. So, in light of that, the main challenge for us this morning is to own the mission of Redemption Hill through being owned by God's will. Own the mission of Redemption Hill through being owned by God's will. And I want to give us three primary ways we can own this mission from Luke 11 this morning. Number one, own the mission through prayerful dependence on the Spirit. Own the mission through prayerful dependence on the Spirit. Let's read verses 1 through 4 of Luke 11. Luke writes, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So once again, Luke is highlighting the, the, the priority that prayer held in the life of Jesus. He consistently got away to pray. And on one of these occasions, the disciples are seeing this, how consistent he was. He said, Jesus, why don't you teach us to pray like John has taught his disciples? And then what follows is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the model prayer, the disciples' prayer. It, it is a prayer that should guide the content of our praying quite often. We can pray this verbatim if our heart's in it, right? It's not mere ritual routine. We can pray the prayer verbatim if, if, if we really mean it, right? But, but Jesus gives it to us as a guide for our praying. Each one of these phrases can launch us off, catapult us into further prayer as we work our way through each request. And so he begins by saying prayer should begin with worship. It should begin with a desire for God to be worshiped. Father, hallowed be your name. It's a declaration and a request. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not Asking God to become more holy, that would be asking God for an impossibility, right? I mean, God is infinitely holy. He cannot become more holy than he already is. But what Jesus is saying is to pray for is that God would be treated as holy, treated as completely other than us. God is not like us. God is perfect, infinite in all of his perfections. And so in our praying and then, of course, consequently, in our living, are we treating God as such, totally worthy of all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our obedience? 
Father, hallowed be your name. And then he prays, your kingdom come. Three words that I hope will be infused into our praying this year as a church. Your kingdom come. This is a request for the rule and reign of God to come about. Not just in the end when Jesus will one day return, usher in his kingdom that will be set up and established forever. But it is also a prayer for the here and now. That God's reign would happen in our hearts, in our daily lives. And of course, this is so pertinent for our vision because each one of these priorities and goals, as you will see, are are wrapped up in, 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 in ways that we pray God's kingdom would come among us as a church. So we pray your kingdom come. Then Jesus gets into some practical matters and the final uh, request. Give us each day our daily bread. It's a request for provision of daily necessities. Not simply bread, but we pray for more than bread. Physical needs, physical necessities, things that are going on in life that God wants us to, to bring to him because he cares. He is our father. And so we pray for those. And then Jesus says, hey, practice repentance. Seek forgiveness. When you sin against God, which is quite frequent, right? He says, Pause and and seek God's forgiveness. Seek his cleansing and his pardon. And as you do that, as you are reminded how greatly you have offended this great God, then surely you will be in a better position to apply the gospel, this love and forgiveness that you have received, then hopefully we will turn around and give that back to others who have sinned against us and are indebted to us. Forgive us our sin, for we forgive those who have sinned against us or indebted to us. And then he ends the prayer with a simple request, lead us not into temptation. So we ask God to, to keep us, to hold us back, for, to deliver us from evil. We know that God doesn't tempt anyone, James 1. So we're asking God to keep us on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Those are some examples of what the content of our prayers should look like. But then Jesus addresses our attitude in prayer. Look at verse 5. He says, And he said to them, teaching them to pray still, by the way, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Just picture this, okay? It's almost comical. Uh, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, which we may expect, he says, yet because of of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And so some of you who are maybe, you know, not so much night owls, I mean, midnight, you are in deep sleep, right? Maybe not in my household much of the, most of the time, but, but, but other households, I mean, you were just knocked out away. And so if someone comes in knocking on your door, it's like, man, get lost. Can you come back in the morning? I mean, like trying to get some sleep here. And Jesus says, you know what, even, even because of the relationship, because they're friends, the, the guy might not get up out of bed. He might say, get lost, you know, like, we'll talk about this tomorrow. But Jesus says, not just because they're friends, but because of his persistence, because of his impudence, because of the consistency. 
He will come to the door. Ask, seek, knock. This isn't because God fails to hear us the first time we pray, but it's an expression of our passion and desire to see the things that we want to happen come to pass. And so we keep knocking and we keep asking and we keep seeking God for his kingdom to come, his will to be done, his work to be made known in and through us and among us. And then you say, well, what's going to drive us to this? I mean, this is great. This is great. We, have, we know how we should pray. We know how, like, and not only what we should pray, how we should pray. But, 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 but why would we pray to, to God as Father? Well, Jesus tells us in 13, 11 through 13, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Jesus moves from the lesser to the greater. He says, you observe parental responsibility and relationship, right? And any, any decent parent, even you who are evil in our nature, apart from God's grace, we are evil. That's why we need him. You who are evil, even you evil people, you, when your son or daughter asks for a banana or bread, don't give them a brick, but you give them good gifts. How much more will not these imperfect earthly parents, but your perfect heavenly father give you good gifts? Yes, but is that what Jesus says? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We desperately need God's Spirit. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you have accepted Christ's atoning work on the cross for you, repented of your sin, your way of living, and have now received this abundant life and eternal gift of life that God gives, then you are, the Bible says, sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit indwells you. And so if you need the, the Spirit of God to come and change you and to make you a new person and become a follower of Christ, ask and God will give you His Spirit. But we need to constantly, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, we need to be constantly be being filled. That's how it's translated out. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can live lives that are pleasing to God, are glorifying to God, and help us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and are about the mission that God has for us. So we need to be desperate for God's Spirit. When we are desperate for the Spirit, it undercuts both self-sufficiency and pride. This is what we need, especially if these goals start to happen, you know what I'm saying? I mean, because, because in and of ourselves, we, we, we don't have the strength to get the job done. Every good in my life, and I will say every good in your life, and everything that is good about this church is simply a gift of God's grace. And so when we depend on the Spirit, it will undercut pride and self-sufficiency in our life, but it will also undercut shallow expectations. God, the Spirit, like God, 
is at work among us, in us. So, so if this is God's deal, can, is God limited in what he might choose to do among us? So many times is. It's as if, this is a ridiculous picture, it's as if we are content as adults to kind of sit and wade in the baby pool of faith and mission. When God is calling us to the depths of his plan for us. We need to say goodbye to shallow expectations, shallow prayers, shallow faith, and embrace a God-sized vision for what he wants out of our lives and for us as a church. And so let's pray that God would give us his spirit. I love what David Platt says. The greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel to the nations today may be the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the spirit of God. And so we, number one, own the mission through prayerful dependence on the Spirit. I want to invite you to grab the handout that is there in your seat. This is, this is our vision on paper for 2013. You'll see the plaque quote there at the top. And what you're going to notice is in our vision, each of these major goals and priorities are, fall under one of each of our core values. Gospel, community, mission. Now, once again... As we work our way through this vision, I want all of us, okay, from the youngest to the oldest, from the person who has been here the longest. Man, I've been praying about this church about seven years ago, and then our team formed, and then our core group formed, and then we launched, and then you've been coming. And So it doesn't matter if it's from me to you. You just got here today, many of you. Thanks for coming. Hope you'll fill out a connection card. We hope to get to know you. Um, whatever it is, let's all ask the question, how will I own this vision? Okay, how will I own this vision as God leads and gives us grace? So the first core value that drives everything, the gospel, become increasingly dependent on the Spirit through word and prayer. So again, we need to diligently seek after the filling of God's Spirit. And we, we do so in, in two primary ways, through hearing from His Word, listening, teach me, we talked about that last week, and then just our prayer life, seeking after God, asking Him to fill us with the Spirit. If we get this goal, I think that all of the other ones that you're going to see are going to flow out of this one. If, if we're increasingly dependent on God's Spirit, I believe the rest will fall into place. So related to that, then number two, we want to grow deeper in our pursuit of God and holiness through gospel-motivated obedience. We don't just want to come in and hear the word. We don't just want to get up in the morning and read a few verses or a few chapters or whatever and, and, and just hear, but we want to apply. We want to live out in light of what God has done for us in the gospel. We want that gospel then to motivate our daily living in everything. In fact, we're going to next month hit pause on our Luke series, and we're going to look at a series on faith and work. I mean, what does God have to do, what does the gospel have to do with our nine to fives? And the gospel has everything to do with our nine to five, and it's not just sharing your faith at work, which is sometimes what we reduce our Christianity in the workplace to. So we grow deeper in our pursuit of God and holiness through gospel-motivated obedience. If we do these things, I believe we will. Then number three, grow wider in corporate worship with 
a high attendance. These are not spirit-inspired numbers at all, okay? These are just kind of where we've been and if we continue to grow in our sense of missionality. And I think these are really realistic numbers. Uh, high attendance of 175 by April and 225 by the end of the year. So these are, again, not spirit-inspired. It's okay if we're not there. It's great if we blow out these numbers, but they're only going to happen if we're dependent on God's spirit, if we're driven by the gospel, if we are pursuing God above all else, which then leads us to how, how will this happen? Well, we want to see multiple friends brought each Sunday. That's getting people here. And then we want people to practice what we call from some others the ministry of the chair. That's, so we want to get them here and we want to keep them here. I think this is happening. It's the, 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 the number one way, okay, we, we try to get the word out in a lot of ways. We serve in our city. We put ads up in our city. We have a website, okay. There are a lot of different ways that people find out about Redemption Hill and come on any given Sunday. The number one reason people come, and this will hopefully, by God's grace, continue to be the way that it always is, is because a friend brings them with them. And that's the way it ought to be. We don't spend money on ads so that that's the way that people come. We don't have a website so that people will come because of a website. Those are just supplemental to the primary means of getting people here is us. But then how do we keep them here? It's what we call the ministry of the cheer. So when someone comes on a Sunday morning, we always pray that that person feels welcomed, greeted, loved, and experiences something of both the presence of God and the glory of God and the love of God's people. So it's not just, you know, decent preaching, decent music, decent vision, and all of this. I mean, that, those are reasons why people will come back to a church. But if, if people don't love one another, if there's no care, hey, what's your name? People probably aren't going to come back. So how do we go about this? Well, here are a couple of just encouragements. Get here early. Get here early and get to know someone. Stay a few minutes late. You know what was awesome about last week? It wasn't how many people were here. It wasn't that, you know, God's grace was on us. I mean, that, those were definitely awesome. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong. But, but what I loved the most about last Sunday in particular is that probably 70% of the people who were here were still here 20 minutes after we were done. That's a church that, that like gets this, you know? It's a church where people are going to feel welcomed and loved, and hopefully a church where people will want to come back. That will also mean if we're busting these toward these numbers, okay, which by the way, just in case you want to know, we, our high attendance last year was 142. That's what it was last year. So these, these are not out of, out of, out of you know, the realm of possibility. Um, but if this happens, then we're going to need more people serving on our Sunday morning surf teams. First Impressions, Transformation Station Children's Ministry, Micah expanding the band. You might want to hook up with Micah and, and help out with the band in our music and media ministry. Then the last goal, major goal under gospel, is to launch a formal and free counseling ministry for Redemption Hill and the community. Simply put, people are hurting, right? People are hurting all around us. People are struggling with addictions, relationships, marriages, and on down the list we could go. So we want to, no, I mean, counseling is going on at Redemption Hill, but we want to formalize this. We want to make it known, not only internally for us as a church, 
when needs arise, you need to get in touch with a pastor, maybe one of our other leaders that are equipped to counsel. But also, we want to offer these services to the community, people outside of the walls of our church who really are going through difficult time and need extra care and concern and counsel. So those are some of the gospel commitments that we want to see God do in and through us this year. Now let's ask the question, what is one specific commitment you will make to own this gospel vision in 2013? What is one specific commitment that you can make? Someone may say, I'm going to make a more concerted effort to be here every Sunday. That might, be, that might be your goal. That might be the commitment that you'll make. Someone may be say, I'm going to reach out and actively invite my friends to be here with me on Sunday. Someone else may say, I'll arrive early to serve on a surf team. And even the Sundays where I'm not on a surf team, I'll make every effort, if I can, to be here early and practice the ministry of the cheer. Others may say, I'm going to read through the Bible this year and record one specific application so I can go deeper in my pursuit of God, which, by the way, will influence all of these. Someone else might say, I'm gifted musically. I'm going to hook up with Mike and, and the music and the band. I'm going, to, I'm going to help out and serve as God has gifted me and given me skill. The, the, you can answer this question in a variety of ways, but I want you to pray. Begin to pray. Show, I mean, God may be already speaking to you what it is. Ask God how you can own this gospel vision in 2013. Our second core value, community. The, the chief goal here is for us to live as gospel family. Live as gospel family. You know, if you've read the New Testament, the, the, the picture of a new believer in Christ that, is that God is our Father, as we've seen in this text, and consequently, everyone who is in Him is now family in Christ. So we're brothers and sisters. We're part of the same family. And if we live like family, then not only will we spend a lot of time together, but we will actually enjoy spending time together. Right? Not only will we pray for one another, but we will sacrifice of our own resources to help our family when they have need. I love to see this. This is all these things. Most of all these things that we're talking about are already happening. We just want to see them to continue to happen. We will love one another. We will serve one another. We will forgive one another. We will be kind to one another. We will bear one another's burdens. We'll live like family together as a church. Number two, we want to see attenders on Sundays move to being members of our church. We talk about membership in this way. We, when we invite people to become members of Redemption, we are inviting you to join a family and join a mission. So basically, you would say, yeah, I'm on board with the core beliefs and doctrines of this church, and I'm on board with the mission and, and where this church is going, and so I'm willing to you know, get on board and commit to this. This is actually one of the goals. I mean, you, to, to, to really move forward, you need to kind of give an honest evaluation of where you've been. And one of our goals in 2012 was to see 60 members at the end of 2012. Well, we have 44 currently. And that's nothing to be disgruntled about. 44 members are awesome. But we're not going to kind of slack off in what we want to see. So, so at the end of the year, if this happens, we'll have almost doubled our membership by the end of 2013. And why are we stating this so explicitly? Like, couldn't this kind of be to the leadership team, the pastors? You know, like, this is, was this one to share with everyone? Absolutely. Why? Because our members are the backbone of our church. Yes, you need great leadership, but you also need great membership. 
Our members take the lead in serving and and, and, and getting ministry done. So if you have been around maybe for a while or or even not so much time, we want to invite you to, to prayerfully consider becoming more committed to Redemption Hill. That may mean membership sooner than later for many of you. Number three, we want to strengthen and multiply our community groups. We want to see 10 by the end of 2013. If, if, if 80 members is a really lofty goal, I think this one is probably too low. We already have six, and many of our groups, most of our groups are growing, flourishing, probably in a position to multiply. If 175 and 225 are happening, that means we're going to need even more groups. So we want to see people get involved, connect with, with a, a community group is a small group of people, rough, rough, roughly 8 to 16 people who gather for fellowship, prayer, the application of God's word to encourage one another and hang out together once a week, all right, whenever they can make it. And they are, they are the heartbeat of what we do as a church. Okay, so I said memberships are the backbone, community groups are the heartbeat. And why is that? Well, we'll just consider this, the importance of community groups at Redemption Hill. Community groups are the primary context where we live in biblical community, okay, we do this whole deal, care for one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, all that. Number two, we pursue growth and sanctification. Okay, so, so my walk with Christ is not, a, uh, is not a solo project. It's a community project. Just ask Thomas Barron. Thomas was wearing me out on Thursday night. When are you going to get those boxes in the basement done? You know what I'm saying? Marsh has been harping on me for, you know, like three months, and now Thomas has been on me for three weeks, like six different times. It was brutal. I was like ready to pass, like go upstairs and go to bed, you know what I'm saying? But, but I needed that. I needed that. The boxes are done, Thomas. Yes, well, Marsha is going to give you a hug after the service. But, but, we, but we need one another, right? We need one another to, to grow in the faith and to, to progress in uh, the gospel. Number three, it's where we accomplish pastoral care. Four, cultivate a missional lifestyle. Five, invest in discipling relationships, being mentored and mentoring others. Six, developing future leaders. Seven, serving our community. And eight, caring for our missionaries. Those are all things that primarily happen in our community groups. It doesn't mean that they don't happen on Sunday mornings. Of course they do. We're preaching the word. We're praying. We're loving on one another. Man, it's all happening here for the most part, but it, it happens in a, in a kind of a different way and at a deeper level in our community groups. So we want to see these grow and flourish and multiply this year. Number four, I love this one, become more of a thumbprint of the diversity of Medford and greater Boston. I mean, to only be a year and a half in on Sundays, we are, we are seeing this. It's awesome. We have so much reason to give God praise. For, for example, well, let me just, how many of you or your parents were born outside of the United States? Raise your hand really high. Wow. Look around. Wow. That's crazy. That's, that's diversity. That's ethnic diversity. We, we have the nations right here in Boston. We want to see that. That's the thumbprint of our community, right? Awesome. But we haven't arrived yet, you know? So we want to see greater generational diversity. We're starting to see it. We want to see it more. You know, you know another kind of group of people that we're missing to a degree? Are not children. Okay, we have a lot of kids down there in Transformation Station. It's great, okay? Hook up with the kids. Serve with the kids on Sundays. We need you. But we want to see more and more youth connect with our church, middle school and high school. All right? It's starting to happen, okay? We're seeing it. But 
we need to put more in place for, for kids to have a place to come. And, and we want to get a youth ministry started, which leads us then to the next encouragement. We want to add affinity-based ministries for fellowship and connecting pathways. All right, so, so again, we have this. We have, we have children's ministry going on. We have a college ministry that, you know, have some specific efforts designed for college students. We have some women's events already happening. We want to at least add two at minimum this year. We want to add a youth ministry, which is in the works. And we also want to add men's ministry. And these ministries are not to replace Sunday mornings, they're not to replace community groups, but they are to provide a venue where we can experience what? Fellowship and connecting pathways. So, so, so that people can hang out with people who are, are close to the same age and have maybe some of the same interest. But then also, we call a pathway basically anything that we do, whether it's Sunday morning, community group, serve effort, community event, whatever it is that we do, we call these pathways because pathways are avenues by which people can connect with our church. So we want these affinity-based ministries to, to have events and, and gatherings and fellowships, whatever you want to call them, by which people who are outside of the church can come and hang out with people who are both inside and outside of the church to see that those who are inside of the church are not as crazy and kooky as they maybe thought we were, you know? So sometimes you have to get outside of the walls of the church to do that, right? Love takes the first step. We don't wait for them to come to us. We want to go to them, and one of those we'll do that is through our affinity-based ministries. And then finally, briefly, we want to establish a deacon ministry this year. That's our prayer. And we want to add elders as needed. So, so Scripture teaches us that healthy churches need both elders, that's synonymous pastors. We have two pastors currently, John and I. And we also need not only elders, pastors, we also need deacons. Deacons are, are servants, all right? Men and women who can take on different roles and responsibilities to serve in the church. So let me ask the question again. What is one specific commitment you will make to own this vision for community in 2013? Will you attend our next Connections class, the first step in our membership process on February 24th? Will you visit a community group at least three times? And I'm just make, we'll make this deal with you. If you go three times and you don't find it spiritually profitable, you don't have to come back. How's that? You already go. Will you hang out in Medford Square once a week to invite these senior citizens that are all over Medford Square to come to our church? You want to see greater generational diversity? Let's invite them in. Will you help with the youth ministry? Will you spend more time with your church family by sharing meals together? Hey, go to lunch after church, right? Like today. You don't have to wait. So gospel, community, and then, and then our third core value, mission. We want to make disciples who make disciples. This is the mission of the church. This is what we want to see happen. People who are not yet following Christ, becoming followers of Christ, experiencing his radical saving grace. People who were not once worshiping God, turning from what they were worshiping to now worship him. That's what mission is for us, our understanding of what the Bible says about mission. So then how are we going to do this? Well, we want to implement our discipleship strategy. You have seen, probably, uh, in the last month, these little discipleship strategy cards. Really, all these are are just a tool 
to say, you know, who is it in my life, in my relational networks that I can be praying for to either come to Christ or if they know Christ, become part of a, what we think is hopefully a health, quite healthy church. And so these will be at the exits once again today. And as we talk about that faith and work series, there may be some co-workers that would never step foot in the church, but you might say, you know, my, my, our church is going to be talking about what we do here 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week. Why don't you come with me just once? So we want to own our discipleship strategy. Know, identify, pray, display, invite, declare, disciple. You got that? No, identify, pray, display, invite, declare, disciple. That's, that's our discipleship strategy. Let's own it this year. And if we do, our prayer. Okay, again, not experienced by a number. Hope it happens more than this. We want to see 25 new baptized followers of Christ. We certainly didn't see that many this year. So this is a huge prayer, lofty goal, but God can do it. We want to see it happen. So that means we'll be baptizing new believers. We had a baptism service this year. It was awesome. If you were there, you know how awesome it was. We want to see more of those happening this year. We also want to exercise great generosity with our time, talents, and treasure. All right, so let's just, again, continue to be personal here. Who, who owns your calendar? Whether it's, you know, writing it out, hung up on the wall, on your iPhone, smartphone. Who, who owns that? Is that your calendar or is that God's calendar? Like, who, who really owns your time? Who owns your gifts? The skills that you have? Did you give yourself those or did God give those to you? Can you use them for his glory? Not only just in your kind of day-to-day in your work and your family life, but can you use those in the life of our church? Who owns your bank account? I love what Driscoll says. He says, people don't like you talking about money because they don't like you messing with their idols. Who owns your bank account? Are you systematic, regular, sacrificial even in your giving to God? I mean, we collect an offering every week, not because we, you know, just something that we do. We, we, we collect an offering every week because we want to see the mission of this church flourish and the mission go forth to the nations. 22% or more of every dollar that's given to Redemption Hill never stays at Redemption Hill. We give it away. That's a pretty big percentage for where we are as a church right now. That's not to boast or pat ourselves on the back. It's just to say, you know, hey, this is what we value. This is what we're giving ourselves to. So we almost, we were, what, $132 short, John? We were $132 short of our goal last year, $125,000. Crazy. We probably will never be that close, plus or minus again, I guess. This year, we we have set a projected offering goal of $180,000. And that's not unattainable. It's just projecting our growth and if we will continue to give regularly and hopefully radically and more sacrificially, we will easily see that happen. So who owns your bank account? And listen, I love this. What motivates all this? What what motivates God owning our calendar and owning our time and skills and owning our bank account? What motivates this? Well, love motivates this. You know, I've never taken my wife out to dinner and said, you know what, man, what a waste. I've never bought Marsha a gift and said, man, I should have spent that on myself. Why? Because that's not the way love operates, right? You give your time to God, and if you love him, you're not going to regret it. You give a little extra 
in the basket on Sunday morning is probably like, you're not going to regret that. Why? Because God is supreme. And there's blessing found when we give ourselves away generously. Number four, equip and multiply leaders for ministry responsibility. Hey, if all these things are happening, growth on Sundays, community multiplying, adding affinity-based ministries, membership blowing up, you know, like we're going to need more leaders. So we want to equip and multiply leaders for ministry responsibility. Number five, we want to strengthen our serve efforts to Medford and Greater Boston. We are a church that is in the city for the city. It's kind of one of the phrases we use. In the city for the city. Also, theologically, we understand that we are a city within a city for the city. You got that? A city within a city. We are citizens of the city of God, letting our light shine before others in the city of man so that they might see our good works and glorify God in heaven so that they can then join the city within the city. So we want to be a church that, that radically serves others, that continues to host community events like Soccer Nights, like Serve Medford, like Easter Egg Hunts, you know, just free events for people out in our community. We want to continue to foster relations with our local partners, Boys and Girls Club, Medford Housing Authority, Willis Ave, et cetera, et cetera. We want to serve in our community groups, each of our six community groups, and then hopefully 10 or 12 by the end of the year, serving together in our city. Number six, we want to establish a benevolence ministry. This is just a mercy ministry that will help meet physical, practical, relational, emotional needs to people who have them as God gives us opportunity to go back to last week. And then seven, we want to begin supporting specific North American and international efforts. So this year we're going to not only pray for, we pray for a lot of different churches and a lot of different people on Sundays in our community groups, but this year we're going to specifically begin giving financially to three church plants in North America, one is right here in Newton, okay? We wish we could do more for Christ's community, but we're going to do a little something for them, all right? And uh, Brian will be preaching next week, and we want to continue to pray for them and support them as they work to start a church in Newton. We also are going to support a church in Charlestown. Todd Burris and team are going to be moving up this summer. So we're going to take a, a primary role in, in the development of that church as they arrive. And then we're also going to be supporting Gallery Church, a church in Toronto, that is going to be a new work starting this year. We're going to seek to give to them generously as we can. Then internationally, we're going to support two families, one in Tanzania and one in Austria, and then also a brother in China. All right, so Redemption Hill can have a global influence. Even though we are not a megachurch, we can still be used by God to touch the world. And that is our aim. So what is one specific commitment you will make to own this missional vision in 2013? Will you be a prayerful witness in your workplace and in your neighborhood? Will you depend on the Spirit and, and say, you know what, I'm not going to let a month go by without telling someone about the difference Christ has made in my life. Will you say, man, I want to be mentored by someone and I want to take what I am receiving and give it away to someone else and invest in someone else's progress in the faith? Maybe you're saying, you know what, I am going to be more systematic and sacrificial in my financial giving this year. I'm going to volunteer to help one, lead one of our serve efforts in the city. I'm going to jump in a community group and take the lead on corresponding with the global missionaries that that group prays for and supports. There are endless ways to be about this vision for mission in 2013. So this, these are our primary focus points. I hope you'll take that hand. I hope you'll keep it. We'll email it out to you. You'll have it in multiple forms. But I hope you will take it, you'll pray over it, and you'll continually ask yourself this question, how can I own this gospel community mission 
so that we can collectively own it together as a church. So we said Luke 11 teaches us that we must own the vision through prayerful dependence upon the Spirit. But there are two other ways, and there are two great ways in Luke 11 as we move toward closing this morning that Luke would teach us, all right? Number two, own the mission through great confidence in the victory of Christ. Let's read verses 14 through 23. Some good news about Jesus right here. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger, think Jesus here, all right? When one stronger, then he attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so Jesus says here, as he is continuing to do the works of God, not only preaching the gospel, but also healing and, and showing signs of the kingdom and displaying what the kingdom is, is, is going to bring, the kingdom of God coming among them in these glimpses, one day that we'll experience forever. No mute people in heaven. That's the new heavens and the new earth. That's, that's, that's the moral of the, the, that, that point. All right? But, but so what Jesus is saying, like you were saying, I'm doing this by you know, the powers of darkness, but what's really going on is the stronger man has entered the house. Jesus has power over all things. Jesus has authority over all things. There is nothing in our lives that Jesus cannot overcome. There is no goal, however great or shallow, that Jesus cannot see come to fruition. Why? Because he is stronger. He is more powerful. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. So does this give us just a little bit of confidence? You know what I'm saying? Like, do we leave here differently saying, you know what, if Jesus is this powerful, this authoritative, and if God is for us, then who can be against us? So we don't only own the mission through prayerful dependence on the Spirit, but we own the mission through complete confidence in the power of Christ. The scripture that John read, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, he's powerful, to do far more abundantly than we all, all we ask or think, according to what? The power at work within us. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Number three, own the mission through complete obedience to the Father. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. 
And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, in the kingdom of God, there is no room for neutrality. If someone has experienced some of the work of God, demon cast out, and then they fail to fill their life with the things of God, then the potential there is for their new state to be worse than their former state. So Jesus is calling us here in Luke 11 to respond, to fill our lives with him that nothing else may enter in that would take away from his rightful place. And that's what he makes even more clear then in verses 27 and 28. And he, as he said to these things, I love Jesus, just how he always responded. I was so ready with wisdom to respond. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus does it, you know, like, you're right. Mary, she was blessed and Mary was blessed, you know. Blessed was Mary. I mean, she had the privilege of, 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 being the mother of God. That's a blessing. Jesus could have said, you know, you're right. But what does Jesus say? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep the word. So this isn't, these, all these goals, this isn't like about obedience to Redemption Hill or obedience to the, the you know, leadership of our church. This is about obedience to God. I mean, these goals that we're setting out, they're, they're nothing more than just practical kind of applications in our context of what we already see in Scripture. So if we'll depend on God's Spirit, if we'll have confidence in the power of Christ, if we'll be obedient completely as we possibly can in the strength that God supplies to the will of the Father, I have no doubt that God will work through us and in us in amazing ways. I can't wait to see the day about a year from now when we come back and say, like, this is what God did. This is what God did. This is what God did. Oh, he did that and that and that and that. And that person got in a community group and that person became a member and this person is a community group leader and this person is leading one of our serve efforts in the city. And that person's a new believer. Yeah, they were baptized with these other 10 people right over here. I love it. You're going to hear us talk a lot about this. Owning the mission, loving deeply, serving intentionally, giving sacrificially, spreading rapidly. Love deeply, serve intentionally, give sacrificially, spread rapidly. Love, serve, give, spread. Love, go, give, serve, spread Something like that, right? <laughs> Love, serve, give, spread. And so let's be a church that is about the work of God and the glory of God and the gospel of God that has given us life and now motivates everything in our lives so that we can see him do a great work in this church this year. I want to invite Micah and John to come back up. And we're going to move into a time of corporate prayer. Because here's the, the kind of the deal, the way this works, all right? If this is going to happen, it has to start now. 
You know what I'm saying? Like this, this, this vision will not happen unless we begin to put it into practice today, right now, this week. And so what we're going to do is just spend some time praying. You know what? If you're like me, you probably have some things to say, you know what, God, forgive me of my debts. Because I haven't spent my time so well. I haven't stewarded your resources so well. I haven't cared about those around me who need you. I haven't given myself in a merciful cause in a very long time. And so maybe you just need to pray part of the Lord's Prayer. God, forgive me of my debts, even as I seek to forgive those who are indebted to me. But then I want you to consider, we're going to throw this corporate prayer slide up now. I just want to give you some moments to wrestle with these three questions. How are you going to own this gospel vision, this vision for a community, this missional vision? How will God lead you to love deeply, serve intentionally, give sacrificially, spread rapidly? I want you just to, to, to pray, to meditate, to consider these questions. In a few moments, I'll lead us all in prayer. Father, we pray that your name would be hallowed in our hearts and in the heartbeat of this church that we would love you and worship you and fear you and serve you above all else. And God, we pray that your kingdom would come among us, that we would see these things come to pass and realize, not because there is anything great in ourselves, but because you are so great and you have all power to see your mission advance, even through a church like Redemption Hill. And so Lord, as we pray and ask you to show us specific commitments, new commitments that we can make to you that line up with the gospel and with this community and with the mission you have for us. Lord, we pray that you and those that you've already spoken to us, that we would have the grace to live them out. And God, for those that you will maybe show us later today, this week, God, help us collectively to own this 
vision that you might receive much glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.